last Sunday night, or two weeks ago, I, on Sunday nights at 8 p.m., I go to a radio station. Um, the radio station is an AM station out in uh, Sharpstown, KMTH 1070. And for many years now, I've been doing a radio show with a Baptist minister and a Jewish rabbi. I know it sounds like a joke, but it isn't. It's a real show. It's called The Show of Faith, A Show of Faith. Anyway, I say that because each week, one of us takes the lead and introduces a topic. And I think it's because my anniversary was just recently, 46 years as a priest. And I, I, every time this time of the year comes around, I reflect on what is it that I have learned in these 46 years of having, of being a priest. And there's several ways to say it, but I picked the words to a song and I asked that we spend the whole hour analyzing the words and meditating to the words of this song. It's not a religious song, but it could be. It's a, a song by Bruce Springsteen, of all people. And uh, even though my preferred rendering of it is not by Springsteen, it's by Minnie Driver. And it's called, Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart. Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart. Listen to, I'm just going to read to you the, the couple of, just two verses of the lyrics. And I want you to, to um, ask yourself, what does this have to do with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life? I am the bread of life. But listen to this. Definitely not a religious man. I have a, I got a wife and, and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never came back. Like a river that doesn't know where it's flowing, I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody has a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you'll play your part. Because everybody has a hungry heart. I met her in a Kingston bar. We fell in love. I knew it had to end. We took what we had and we ripped it apart. Now, here I am down in Kingstown again. Everybody has a hungry heart. Everybody has a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you'll play your part. Because everybody has a hungry heart. That song has crystallized for me 
What I have found is my, the main ministry that I as a Catholic priest have been doing for 46 years. Because everybody, that's not part of the song, just part of the song. It's the truth that I found. Everybody has a hungry heart. I see all kinds of symptoms of it all the time. I see it in kids desperately seeking their heart, their, the fulfillment of their hearts by their friends' approval. I see them going in and out of immature romantic relationships, trying desperately to fill the hungry heart. I see it even in young adults working towards a great university career. And they're busy with that for several years. They fill their hearts with the visions of what they're going to do. And once they climb up the ladder of whatever they're defined as success is, they find that there's nothing at the very top. There's just emptiness at the very top. Even mature people who have, quote, fallen in love, after a good while, marriages that are not founded in something deeper, that are obsessed with one another, sooner or later, you just don't love them anymore, or at least you say you don't. Because we in the Western world have, have convinced ourselves that love is an emotion that you fall into. I always, I always speak like that to, um, to um, couples that are getting married whenever I do a wedding. I remind them, I said, you're not promising to be in love. Nobody can promise to be in love because being in love is all about your feelings. And there's not a single person that can control how you feel. After three, four, five years of all of living together, of having as much romance as you can handle, if there's not something deeper, it's going to dry up because that's the way it is. You have a hungry heart. And the hungry heart is a hunger that is deeper than anything you're going to find in this world. Even the perfect person is still not going to fill your hungry heart. You're going to... And it's interesting when he says in the song, lay down your money and you'll play your part. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Isn't it interesting that so many times people try to fill the hunger of their hearts with what can be bought by money, by success, by grabbing anything that you can to fill that hole? That's why people drink, by the way. That's why people do dope, by the way. It's to calm that gnawing at the center. That's why people overeat. I know that from experience. 
to the degree that I don't turn to God, whenever I feel lonely, I go to the refrigerator. I'm not hungry, but my heart is. And I think if I eat this or that, it's going to help me. It doesn't, but I still do it. And you can go on and on. People go shopping. When you don't need anything, you go shopping because you have a hungry heart. And you'll do anything. You'll overwork, giving yourself some sort of an idol up here. And you think, yeah, I've got to do it. And I, once I get it done, once I, once I get there, the hunger of my heart will be satiated. There's something in psychology that I found out exists. It's called destination addiction. You ever heard of that? Destination addiction. It's when you commit yourself to a goal to the point that you say, I will be happy when I achieve this destination. And then you get to that destination, and yeah, it's nice, but you still have a hungry heart. You still have it. Now, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because that's how Jesus introduces the whole notion of I am the bread of life. He who eats, eats this bread will not be hungry. He who drinks this water, this cup, will not thirst. Like he said to the woman at the well, you can drink as much as you want. You will always have a thirsty heart, if you want to use that image, or a hungry heart. It's constant. It's constant. St. Augustine said it perfectly, and he uses another me metaphor, the metaphor of restlessness. It's in the chapel. I wrote it across the wall of the chapel. It says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Now, the reason that the church celebrates this day is because the presence of Jesus is the only remedy for the hungry heart, for the thirsty heart, for the tired heart depending on which metaphor you choose to use. But that hungry heart, that, that the feast of the body and blood of Jesus, has to be understood in a very wide understanding. Let me, let me explain what I mean. I think I grew up with a very compartmentalized understanding of what the Eucharist does. I still remember when I was growing up that we were told when I first received my first communion that you were supposed to go back to your pew and kneel down and go, you know, like make, make focus your attention on Jesus. But like a normal child, I asked, well, how long does Jesus stay with me? How long? 
Now, I don't, I think the adults didn't know what to say. A theological answer would not have satisfied me. So somebody told me, five minutes is good enough. So I always imagined that I received communion and five minutes later, Jesus would go and fade away into sin air. Okay? And so now, life could go on normal because I went to communion, right? I received the body and blood of Jesus, right? Yes, I did. I was duly focused for five minutes, was I not? Yes, I was. So now, let's get back to life as normal. That never did it. That never did it. I was going to communion since I was seven years old, I think. I still had a hungry heart. I, I, I grew up in high school in the 60s, you know, drinking and doing marijuana and doing stupid stuff, you know, chasing girls and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And why I was doing that? Because of my hungry heart. But what's going on? I was going to communion. Isn't that, I don't, I'm not supposed to feel hungry anymore. Why do I still have a hungry heart when I'm still going to communion? And the answer I found out as I have gotten older, that the hungry heart is only satisfied when the common, the communion that you receive becomes a generalized presence in your life all of the time. Now, let me explain by what, what I mean by that. When I was growing up, I was told five minutes. So I imagined five minutes. But the rest of the time, I wasn't focused on living for Jesus or living communicating with God or doing anything like that. It, it, you know what it reminds me of now that I, I'm an older man? It reminds me of going to the doctor and the doctor tells you that you have uh, diabetes, for example, which I have. And he says, you have to eat a special diet. So you say, okay, doc, I will eat a special diet. So you eat that special diet one time per week for one meal. There, I ate my special diet. But the, for the rest of the time, you're eating a normal food and you're eating normal sweets. Now, that special diet compartmentalized on one meal a week is not going to do too much for you because I am not living in that diet. I have not made my diet what I feed on. I am feeding on a diet that is not meant for a diabetic. One meal a week I am, but that's not enough to reverse it. It's the same thing for, I would say, for cultural Catholics. Cultural Catholics go to communion once a week, they come to Mass, but they're really not feeding on 
God. Did you notice that Jesus said that to say that in the gospel? He said, He who feeds on me will live because of me. That's the sentence that most, most impressed me. If you feed on me, you will have life because of me. Now, he's not talking, of course, about physical feeding, but it's a good metaphor to think about. Think about your own life. What is your own spiritual life feeding on? And the question is, the question, compare it directly to a diet for a diabetic or for any other person. If you are constantly feeding on garbage that is not going to be good for your health, I don't care if you do it once or twice a week, you eat well, it's not going to do anything. Because we're talking about your normal diet. It can't be a one-off thing that you do for five minutes or an hour a week. You see, what I've learned in getting older and in suffering through lots of different spiritual deserts and stuff like that is that even if you're a good Christian and a good Catholic, God will allow you to go through periods of desert so that you can experience the parts of you that are still feeding on garbage. And you may be a very religious person. You may be a super rosary all the time person. But if you have not learned how to live and feed in common union with the Lord, the bread of life will still keep you hungry. I always, I always find it interesting, the word communion. You know, I have to, listen to it, I have to go to communion. I know we say it that way, but think about it. Communion comes from common union. You don't go to common union. You don't go, if you have a common union with a person you love, you don't go to common union with them. You try to live regularly in common union. You don't go to common union. Or, or the other one I get a big kick out of, and I understand we use this on a regular basis, just saying it. When, people, when, people, when we say, I have to go to Mass, really? Really? I have to go to Mass. Shouldn't we be saying, see, if you say I have to go to Mass, it makes Mass a thing that you have to go to. And you have to sit through Mass. I have to go to Mass. Okay, I went to Mass. I did my Sunday obligation. I went to Mass. 
Okay, I received communion. But notice how compartmentalized that is. It's kind of a thing I went. And I still remember when I was a young kid in, in Cuba. And, and some of you who are older may remember when people used to talk about hearing mass. Tengo que oír la misa. I have to hear mass. It, 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 it takes an encounter with God and it, it, it makes it into a thing that you have to go to and a Eucharist that you have to receive and five minutes that you have to sit making believe you're listening to the Lord and then you go do your own thing. If that's our treatment of the Eucharist, it's not going to be the bread of life for you. It's not magic. It is not magic. It's not like, oh, you know, I received communion today and okay, that's it. I am going to heaven. I'm, I ate the bread of life. No. You have to live and feed in common union with the Lord. What would it be like if instead of thinking you're going to Mass, you would say to yourself, I need to go and have an encounter with the Lord in communion with the rest of the church? Because that's what you're doing. You're having an encounter, a common union with God in the context of a lot of people. What would it be like if we thought about the Eucharist instead of something that you receive as someone that you have an encounter with? That when I hold that consecrated host, it's actually the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of the Lord, which is meant to keep you going in common union 24-7. That's the goal. So let me close this by saying this. That's not something that you do quickly. It took me a long time, and it's taking me still a long time, to try to consciously live in common union with God. Because what that has meant is that the relationships of my life and the relationships with the stuff of my life, both the stuff and the people that I was primarily linking to and living in communion with directly, I had to let them go. I had to common union with God and then, guess what? I found them all there. <laughs> but they were no longer in direct common union. They were now in common union with God. And I found them in God. And that's how I've learned I have to do it. My first relationship is with God. It has to be. And then you have to find the rest of your relationships inside that relationship. I had a professor one time said, it's kind of like moving in. You got to move in all your stuff into the relationship with God. You can't have something left out. You got to move everything in. 
you got to move your your relationships, your money, your your safety, your hopes, your dreams, all of it. And it's not easy. Moving into Jesus is not easy. It takes a lifetime. But I'm encouraging you to do it. And the more you attend the Eucharist and the more you try to extend the time that you are consciously in common union with God, the more your relationships begin to move in until you find that the sanctified life is when you have moved in everything in your life and everything in your life exists in him. And then it finds its proper place. That's what it means to live in common union with God. So that's the future, and that's what we need to shoot for. And if you're still coming to Mass receiving communion, that's great. That's a great beginning. But you'll notice sooner or later that it's not enough. It's the beginning. And there's a lot of moving in that's left to do. But take patience. The Holy Spirit will help you. He'll slowly begin to take things out and put them back in. You can't move them. It's Holy Spirit who does it. He moves them in to him. And then you live in common union with him. Not just five minutes, but your whole lifetime.